There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police the arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a weird homicide. A scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... Morning. Cop of murder. We tell stories all the time of a lone attacker who murders without discrimination and without any help from an accomplice. But today's story is vastly different. On January 6th, 2007, a couple was carjacked and taken to a home where not one, not two, but four people would sit back and play a dangerous role in their torture and ultimately in their death. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. Shannon Gale Christian, born April 29th, 1985 was a senior at the University of Tennessee, Knoxville, majoring in sociology with a graduation date just on the horizon. A girl who, on January 6th, 2007, had plans to go out to dinner with a boy named Hugh Christopher Newsom Jr. before attending a party at a friend's home. Hugh, who was called Chris by all of his friends, was born on September 21st, 1983, was a graduate of Pellissippi State Technical Community College, and was working as a carpenter. As the rest of her friends left for the party, Shannon stayed back and waited for Chris to come pick her up. After a quick meetup in her apartment, the pair went down to the complex parking lot where, unbeknownst to them, their lives were about to be taken into the hands of some very dangerous people. Upon arriving at her car, the couple was carjacked and driven off to a rental house that neither of them recognized. Once there, the unknown assailants attacked the pair, forced them into the back seat of Shannon's SUV at gunpoint, tied up their hands, and drove off to a house on Chipman Street, a home belonging to a man named Lamarcus Davidson. Upon entering Lamarcus's home, both Shannon and Chris were brutally raped, Chris both by a person and with an object. He was then taken to a set of nearby train tracks where the 23-year-old's life was ended with a gunshot wound to the back of the head, neck, and back. The final shot severing his brainstem before his body was lit up in flames. His hands and feet were still bound, mouth still stuffed with a sock, and eyes still covered with a blindfold, wearing nothing but a shirt, t-shirt, and underwear. In the distance, lying discarded on the floor was a mangled-up dog leash that, when found by investigators, would lead them to believe that he was walked to his death like a misbehaving dog. This left Shannon alone in the house, held captive by one of the assailants while she waited for everyone else to come back. Unsure of what just happened to Chris and what was about to happen to her. After Chris's murder, the assailants came back to the house and began beating and raping Shannon. After several hours of immense sexual torture with acts that severely injured her head, as well as her vagina, anus, and mouth, Shannon Christian finally succumbed to her brutal beatings and took her last breath. She was just 21 years old. When later assessed by a medical examiner, they would say Shannon's rape was extreme and, quote, much more than a simple sexual assault and saw moments of her being tied to a chair while some of the men orally raped her and others took turns kicking her vagina and beating her in the head. She had carpet burns covering her body and bruises that darkened most of her skin. In an effort to cover up the DNA that they had left on her body, Shannon's captors poured bleach down her throat and scrubbed her body to the point of bleeding. 
Her nearly naked body was bound and hogtied with some curtains, body unceremoniously thrown into five large trash bags, and her face covered with a small bag. Her body showing signs that she slowly suffocated to death on the afternoon of January 7th or the 8th. While she lay dying on the floor of his home, LaMarcus Davidson left for the day to spend time with his girlfriend, gifting her some of Shannon's personal items. He was wearing Chris's shoes and using his cell phone at the time. Now, while all of this was happening at LaMarcus's home, Shannon and Chris's friends worried when they did not show up at the party and when all of their calls went unanswered, arrived at the apartment where they were abducted and saw Chris's car still in the parking lot. Shannon's forerunner, however, was nowhere to be found. It was around this time that a driver for Waste Connections, who arrived at work on Chipman Street at around 12.30 a.m. on January 7th, noticed that the home seemed to be very busy for that time of night. He also noticed a forerunner slowly driving by him and saw four black men sitting in the car while a different witness, a little over an hour later, reported hearing three pops from the direction of the train tracks. Of course, none of this seemed relevant at the time. For now, the only real worry was coming from Shannon and Chris's friends. After Shannon failed to show up at work on January 7th, the couple's friends and family started calling around to the local hospitals and tried to file a missing persons report for both of them. Shannon's parents asked for help from law enforcement, but for one reason or another, they told them that they would have to search for the young adult on their own. So not really sure what to do next, they called their mobile phone provider and got them to check on Shannon's phone records. The last ping came from a Cherry Street phone tower. Later that same day, Chris Newsom's body was found by a Norfolk Southern Railroad employee who immediately called the police. With the discovery of Chris's body, Shannon's family began to think the worst. Despite the fact that there was semen found on Chris's body, the DNA contained in that semen had been destroyed by the fire. Working with what they had, both Shannon and Chris's families and friends began searching Cherry Street, where the last ping came from, and were able to find Shannon's abandoned Toyota 4Runner on January 8th. The front seats of the car were pushed all the way back, so far back that Shannon would have never been able to reach the pedals, and the floorboards were covered with mud. The outside stickers had been removed from the car, a pack of cigarettes were found inside, neither Shannon nor Chris smoked, and police recovered an envelope from the car that contained fingerprints they were able to put in their system. Fingerprints that did not belong to Shannon Christian or Chris Newsom but Lamarcus Davidson, who lived at 2316 Chipman Street, just two blocks from where her SUV was found. On January 9th, three days after the young couple was abducted, police showed up at Lamarcus's home and found that it was unoccupied. However, when they took a look inside, they found, sitting in the kitchen as if it was trash waiting to be taken out, the bagged-up body of Shannon Christian. On the outside of the bag were fingerprints also belonging to Lamarcus Davidson, and inside her vagina and anus was semen that further connected him to the crime. However, the sperm that was left inside of her mouth did not belong to Lamarcus, but to a man named Latavis Covins. In addition to her body, several personal items belonging to both Shannon and Chris were found all around Lamarcus's home. Most of it was stained with fingerprints or with semen belonging to the abductors. There was also a shell casing that matched perfectly with the bullets used to kill Chris Newsom. 
there was no doubt in anyone's mind that this was the home where the couple had spent their last moments of life. Realizing they needed to catch the killers as soon as possible, police began a manhunt for Lamarcus Davidson. And after learning about some phone calls between him and a man named Eric Boyd, they asked Eric for any information regarding his friend's whereabouts. He directed them to a vacant house, and on January 11th, Lamarcus was taken into police custody. Over the course of its interrogation, Lamarcus told five different stories about the life, abduction, and deaths of Shannon and Chris. The first claimed he left the house Friday and had no clue a crime took place in his absence. The next said that his friends Latalvis Cobbins and George Thomas arrived at his house early Friday or Saturday and told him that they had carjacked some people, saying he saw the victims tied up but didn't want any part of it, so he left to smoke. He claimed he came back 20 minutes later and heard Shannon pleading for her life. Still not wanting to get involved, he simply took her car to do some dealings and wiped it clean, saying he never went far enough into the house to see what was going on and never once had sex with Shannon Christian. As things kept changing with Lamarcus, police went to arrest the others implicated in the crime, George Thomas, Latalvis Cobbins, and Vanessa Lynn Coleman. Upon their arrest, which took place the same day as Lamarcus's, police seized a computer that George and Latalvis were using to watch news coverage of the case on, seized a purse containing several of Shannon's belongings, and found her overnight bag. Upon his arrest, Latalvis told investigators that he, Lamarcus, and Eric Boyd all drove to the apartment complex together to meet a girl. When they got there, they saw the SUV with a female driver and, quote, basically carjacked them before taking them back to Lamarcus's home. Once there, according to Latalvis, Lamarcus took Shannon into the bedroom while Eric drove away with Chris. He said Eric came back a bit later without Chris. Latavis denied having any sexual intercourse with Shannon, and Vanessa Coleman admitted to being present in the house, but was, like the couple, being held hostage by the other defendants. While their stories didn't seem to be lining up, the DNA and evidence in the case was enough to lay charges on each of the people responsible. George Thomas faced a total of 46 charges and was indicted on 16 counts of felony murder in connection to the rape, robbery, and kidnapping, two counts of premeditated murder, two counts of especially aggravated robbery, four counts of especially aggravated kidnapping, 20 counts of aggravated rape, and two counts of theft. Latalvis Cobbins, in addition to the same 46 charges George was facing, was also charged with assaulting a correctional officer while behind bars awaiting his trial. Lamarcus Davidson, who had just completed a five-year sentence for a previous carjacking and aggravated robbery felony, was faced with the same 46 charges in addition to an indictment for a second robbery committed at a pizza hut the day after the murders. Vanessa Coleman faced 40 charges and was indicted on 12 counts of felony murder related to the case, one count of premeditated murder, one count of aggravated robbery, four counts of especially aggravated kidnapping, 20 counts of aggravated rape, and two counts of theft. All four had multiple prior felony convictions. After all four were indicted by Knox County, the attorneys for George Thomas, on the grounds that there were no forensics connecting him to the case, filed a motion for a speedy trial. It was granted, and on August 11, 2008, the DA announced that the state was going to seek the death penalty for both Latalvis Cobbins and Vanessa Coleman if convicted. 
The media went wild with the case, and lawyers for the defense argued for a change of venue for each of the defendants. It was denied as premature, and the judge in the case threatened to ban the Newsom family from the courtroom after they called Lamar Kiss's attorney a jerk. Things were getting out of hand very quickly. A little while later, on August 23, 2007, a federal grand jury indicted Eric Boyd and charged him with being an accessory to the carjacking, resulting in serious bodily injury to another person and failure to report. He was later accused by both George and Latalvis of the rape and murder of Chris Newsom, and a search warrant was obtained for his DNA. He was convicted on state charges in 2019 and given 18 years in federal prison. He was the only one not charged with the murder. On August 25, 2009, Latavis Cobbins was found guilty of the murders and, the very next day, sentenced to life without the possibility of parole. On October 28, 2008, Lamarcus Davidson was found guilty of the charges against him, and the jurors unanimously agreed that he should be given the death penalty. In June of 2010, he was given 80 years for the other charges related to the murders, which will run consecutively with his multiple death penalties. During his sentencing, the judge in the case said the crime was, quote, one of the most incredibly outrageous, cruel, and inhumane cases this court has ever seen, and said, there really is no sentence great enough to punish you for the conduct you have been convicted of. On December 8, 2009, George Thomas was found guilty on multiple counts and given life without the possibility of parole. The last to be tried was Vanessa Coleman, who agreed to testify against the men in their trials in exchange for immunity on all federal charges. However, this immunity did not extend to any of her state charges, which included the murder and the rape. On May 13, 2010, she was acquitted of first-degree murder and found guilty of a lesser charge. She was sentenced to 53 years behind bars on July 20, 2010. Less than a year later, the sentencing judge in their case, Richard Baumgartner, was forced to resign from the bench following an admitted addiction to drugs, to purchasing prescription pain medication from convicts, and being accused of trading legal favors for sex during breaks in court sessions. He later pleaded guilty to one count of official misconduct and thus compromised all of the trials he presided over in the last two years he was on the bench. This included the four defendants involved in Shannon Christian and Chris Newsom's murder. They were granted a new trial on December 1st, 2011, and due to double jeopardy, the defendants faced at maximum the sentences that they had already received. Conceding there was proof of impairment in only Vanessa Coleman's trial, the prosecutors appealed the decision to retry the other three men. The decision was affirmed in a two-to-one vote, but in May of 2012, the Tennessee Supreme Court overturned the ruling for a new trial and said that, while they did not condone or excuse the judge's misconduct, his actions outside the courtroom in no way affected their trials. The decision was sent back to Judge Blackwood, who, in June of 2012, again granted new trials based on his decision on the 13th juror rule. Prosecutors filed to have Blackwood recused after he invoked the rule, citing emotional involvement in the case. A new judge was named to oversee the retrials, and he denied a new trial for both Latavis Cobbins and Lamarcus Davidson. George Thomas and Vanessa Coleman, however, headed back into court. 
Vanessa was later convicted of facilitating an aggravated kidnapping, facilitating rape, and facilitating the murder of Shannon Christian. And she was sentenced to 35 years in prison, minus credit for time served. George Thomas's trial saw him guilty on all 38 counts, and he was resentenced to life imprisonment, but with the possibility of parole after 51 years. In the aftermath of their horrific murders and thanks to the lobbying of their friends and family, two new laws were introduced in 2014 as a result of their case. The Chris Newsom Act, which eliminates the 13th juror rule, and the Shannon Christian Act, which restricts attorneys and defendants in attempting to portray a victim in a negative light. This came about after Lamarcus alleged the couple came to the house to buy some drugs, something Shannon's family was deeply offended over as the attorneys dragged their daughter through the mud and questioned her character. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to what terrible thing happened on January 7th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe.